0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, digesting the best of the week sports news with interviews and analysis. On Sport Lot this week, I'm Rob Harris from the Associated Press coming to you from Tokyo. Back in England is Martin Ziegler from the Times as ever and shortly will be joined also by Tarek Panja from the New York Times. Martin, it's been busy at the Olympics and certainly uh, not quite in the rest of the sports world either, has it?
1: Well, you know, I think we're all putting our feet up and and, uh, thinking, praising all you guys out in Tokyo, doing all this hard work. And then a couple of the biggest transfer stories in recent years, suddenly both happened at the same time. Um, Jack Grealish joining Manchester City, the first £100 million player in English football. And something which is a fairly seismic um, occurrence in the football world. Barcelona saying Lionel Messi is no longer going to be at the club. They cannot afford to give him a new contract.
0: And yet, of course, they want to be able to offer him the money for the contract. But it's La Liga stopping them, isn't it, based on their own financial regulations. So an agreement between Messi and Barcelona that the league is thwarting. Well,
1: that's right. So I mean, Barcelona used to have the the, the biggest salary in, um, in the world, actually, of any club. But um, they've they've been almost, uh, have had that capped um, half the previous limit to 382 million euros. Now, when you look at uh, some of the figures that have been quoted for Messi's salary, I mean, it's, they just can't afford to to do that, um, to give him a new contract at the same time as pay all their other players, because, I mean, nobody's going to want to take a sort of Fifty percent pay cut? Are they so? They're in this position um, where La Liga are saying you can't spend this, and they're saying that in that case we we cannot give the most famous player in the world a new contract, and basically he's out of Spanish football. So what do you think? Sorry. So what do you think, Rob? Is is this a tactical move by the club?
0: The way Barcelona are positioning it really much against La Liga and at a time when La Liga have tried to strike this investment deal with CVC for 10% of the commercial revenue, which we're going to get to in a lot more depth later on. If you lose Messi, you diminish the value of the product of La Liga. They've already lost Cristiano Ronaldo um, a few years ago now. And a diminished Barcelona is not good. They've also just done this rights deal in the US with ESPN to get more exposure there, having just ended the relationship with BN, of course, In owned by the Qataris. Certainly, as we record this podcast, the way things are looking are that Lionel Messi is heading to Paris Saint-Germain, which is also owned by the Qataris with the same president, Nasser Al-Khalifa, of both of them. It looks like, because Manchester City, the way they've already spent on Jack Grealish, they're pursuing Harry Kane as well, that uh, is there only one club in town potentially to, to sign him?
1: Yeah, I think they are the only club who can sign him. Manchester City probably could have done, but um, and that they would have done a year ago. They were certainly interested in him then, but they, they've ruled that out effectively now. Um, so nobody else can afford it. I don't, none of the Italian clubs, um, and the Spanish clubs, they're all really hard hit by the pandemic. Um, I don't think the likes of Chelsea, Manchester United are, are, are interested. Um, Chelsea obviously could, if they, if they wanted to, given Abramovich's huge pocket. So... It's PSG or nowhere, um, which is a really interesting thing. I I think, like you, this is La Liga um, being put on the spot by Barcelona and saying you could have Lionel Messi for another five years if you just relax things a bit.
0: It's interesting, sort of going back on some of the Barca financial issues recently, and their debt has gone over a billion euros that even they themselves admit quote, COVID is not to blame for everything. Things were going badly before. That's from the club's economic vice president. So sometimes they do characterize it as completely the pandemic to blame. But Barca were overspending, mismanaging their finances, not structuring deals correctly in terms of their financial prudence and were sort of, you know, not prepared when things went awry in terms of a drop in revenue as well during the pandemic.
1: No, I mean... They were clearly spending far, far too much. I mean, Messi alone, his his most recent four-year deal signed in 2017 was worth something around 125 million euros a year. I mean, that's the annual wage budget for a sort of mid-table Premier League club for, the, for everybody. And that's what he's being paid on his own. So it's clearly um, been completely ludicrous. And not surprising, really, that they've, they've flown too close to the sun and um, now they're in, in a, having some big problems.
0: And, of course, we talked a bit about La Liga's own financial regulations. Ultimately, PSG do need to comply with for financial fair play. Looking at their most recent accounts, wage bill, €414 million, euros, revenue, €560 million. Euros. Things are pretty tight already. Funding salaries for Neymar and Mbappe and others. They have had a pretty canny transfer window so far in terms of signing some key players for nothing, Wijnaldum, Donnarama and uh, Ramos. And the thing is, it looks like financial fair play is winding down its current form anyway. They're looking to introduce a new system at uh, UEFA. And of course, one of the people who will be key to configuring the new FFP is Nasser Al-Khalifa as PSG president, but also chairman of the European Club Association and a member of the UEFA Exco
1: well exactly no wonder people are sort of raising their eyebrows at that, but yeah, i think the fact that f f p is 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 being completely rendered um as uh impossible to to impose because of the pandemic means that actually if there is a time for p s g um to pounce a messy, this would be it, but i still don't think he will go there. i actually think he will remain at Barcelona i think something will be done.
0: That does seem the hunch of so many, doesn't it? A big power play and uh, it's going to be one of the most fascinating things that could either drag out or um, take a bit of time. Of course, we're only um, a week or so away from the uh, Spanish league season starting. So something's got to be sorted quite soon. The French league starts this weekend as well. So uh, the season getting well underway.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's all starting now. You know, the next we've had a very very short break from football now it's all starting again so um, here we go and um, the olympics is almost over uh it's been a pretty uh intense time for you guys out there uh, there have been quite a lot of stories around. For, for You've uh, you've not been putting
0: your feet up, have you? Obviously, we've been very limited. Only just now we we're able to sort of go out and about after the two weeks of soft quarantine, where we could only go from hotels to venues and back again. Now we can at least get into the streets, to get a sense of what the games are like, these pandemic games, with most events being held without any fans at all. Well, let's get the perspective now of Tarek Panja from the New York Times alongside me here in Tokyo. Tarek, uh, great to have you on the pod. What have you made of these games?
2: Yeah, there's a big disconnect between the Olympics, the bubble, which you can essentially host on the moon, feels like, and the rest of Japanese society. Yeah, the quarantine restrictions for us have lifted from the first 14 days, meaning we can use public transport and, you know, be be outside of um, the bubble, as it were. But that doesn't mean anything's actually changed in terms of the look and feel of the games themselves. Um, and Martin, you, you're right. There's been a, a ton of stories. You, you, they just seem to... Every game has its storylines, and this one has has been relentless. From from the sporting side, we had... At well, the, the beginning, we had Simone Biles and, and um, Naomi Osaka, pretty much the faces of, of these games at the onset, n- dropping out, essentially. We had Naomi Osaka being eliminated in the tennis finals, and we had the sight of simone biles walking away from uh, the gymnastics arena we've had issues related to mental health related to to her participation here Um, and also what a hard job and what a dangerous job gymnasts do uh, day to day these are sports that are kind of marginal but we've followed her storyline as well as others
0: yeah i mean this is one of the things that's been overlooked at times i would say when we've talked about fatigue of athletes also the Burdening on the mind as well is the risk of injury, and we've had athletes in the past in gymnastics who've suffered really badly. They've actually led to death in terms of a mistake on the uh, equipment, and that's certainly something that's got to be weighing on Simone Biles's mind. We've seen it, you know, talked about in football as well. Actually, if you are tired, you can put the wrong move in in terms of a tackle and something, and that can be pretty dangerous as well. So, I think some people on the outside can view it occasionally as athletes just want a bit of a rest. They can't take the the, the heat of it. But actually, there there are serious consequences, aren't there, if an athlete isn't fully in the zone at that time when competing?
1: Yeah, I remember actually Tom Daly talking about that, um, getting over that fear factor, standing on a 10-metre diving board. I mean, it's, it's, it's a massive mental test, and gymnastics is the same. Perhaps even cycling, someone's ended up in hospital, uh, a Dutch rider after after the collision, you've had um, all these BMX, um, just the racers and the the people who are doing all the stunts. I mean, and the skateboarders, they regularly suffer broken bones. So, there is a it's a it's there's a, it's a test of mental fortitude as much as anything else.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We had a BMX rider actually in hospital with a brain injury uh, in the in the men's category earlier this week, which is really shocking to see.
0: And then, of course, a pretty dramatic incident that we had here at the Games that really showed the collision of sport and politics, when on Sunday night, the Belarusian athlete Kristina Chimarskaya was taken to the airport against her will by her team. So many elements of this story, she'd been criticising her coaches on social media for entering her into a race that she had no experience in, a relay race. She was doing the heats on Monday of the two hundred meters, but before she could ever get to the start line on Sunday, she was taken to the airport, had to seek police help, and eventually required Poland to effectively step in to offer her a visa. But the ISC weren't exactly very responsive immediately, were they? Delicate situation for them. But um, how do we think the IOC handled this? Uh,
2: this this situation was 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 really complicated, really fast moving, quite hard to understand as well, Rob. The, like this was really strange but the 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 issues go a lot further back than where we are today belarus is run by um essentially a dictator alexander lukashenko who won re-election in in 2019 um which observers say those those elections were subject to fraud and um, ballot stuffing etc and there were street protests among the protesters were thousand about a thousand athletes saying that they've been a subject to crackdowns for speaking up interestingly Christina tenetskaya was not one of them she she she's not a political figure which just shows how how kind of harsh this whole situation has been she's studiously been apolitical she's wanted to run in the olympics she wanted to run so badly that the conditions that's what freaked her out. She wanted to perform well, and was so upset that the conditions that she faced were not up to standard. She was forced to do the four hundred meters, and the fact the regime tried to bring her home for making a statement about coaching, rather than anything that was political, is kind of blows your mind a little bit. And yeah, the IOC was was put in a strange place, but they really didn't act quickly. As far as the if you if you hear what the IOC say, they say we stepped in. At the earliest possible opportunity to help the athlete in trouble, so they sent um, officials to the airport to speak with her. They then um, she was then taken to a um, hotel near the airport to spend her first night, where she continued dialogue with with the IOC and um, Japanese officials um, a- until Poland stepped in, and 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 then she is now in Poland, having spent a night at the embassy. But the IOC, what it still has not done is sanctioned anyone at all involved in this. Also, CAS, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, um, has to have a look at itself as well. The athlete and people uh, helping her, people working on her behalf, had filed an emergency motion to to, to help her to return to the track for that 200 metres uh, race on, on, on the Monday, the heats. The cast said she had failed in that a few days later. One of the reasons they say she failed was because they couldn't find her and they couldn't interview her. And everyone's like, well, obviously she was under protection in a safe house. If that's the reason, that is, it's absolutely insane.
0: And one of the issues is the fact that the Belarusian National Olympic Committee has been run for the last quarter of a century by Lukashenko, or indeed his son.
1: Looking at it from afar, the, the, the thought of this athlete being escorted to the airport by these sort of minders effectively um and you what well, obviously feared what would happen when she if she had, had to be forced to return to belarus um we've seen other human rights issues there an airliner being forced down to get a uh activist journalist um taken off the airplane by the by the um undercover police it's the whole thing is um a, a, a real a, a scandal, really, in that sports people are being put in this position. Uh, another of the what I, from, from looking from from Britain, what seems to be a, a, a strong, very strong and um, notable story is this issue around the ROC or the Russian Olympic Committee, as they, as they're known, and, and um, just how much this sanction that they can't be called Russia is is really just a, a sanction in the name only and it is not really having any effect at all.
0: No, particularly when the fact they're meant to be called ROC, but on broadcast and across so many outlets, they are just called the Russian Olympic Committee. So the whole point of them being called the ROC was to not have Russia in their name, but then they just have that anyway, because the full version of ROC is read out, of course, which is perhaps overlooked quite often in this. It's not necessarily part of Russia's punishment for the state-sponsored doping, stemming from the 2014 Sochi Olympics and other sports as well. This is all relating to the cover-up of the cover-up, the inability to cooperate with investigators that wanted data from the Moscow lab in recent years to try to clear up the whole scandal. And it's more about their conduct in recent years, showing why they can't be trusted. And if anyone was looking for a meaningful sanction, They've not had it, Russia, and it's just like they are competing as themselves as normal.
2: Yeah, and they're perhaps one of the most visible presences here as well. The initial ban was quite stringent. Of course, there wouldn't have been any Russians or very few here under that ban, and they certainly wouldn't be walking around the Tokyo Olympic sites like uh, mobile flags, which they are at the moment. The colors they're wearing are. <laughs> I like um, those you see on the Russian flag, the red, the blue, and the white. It it, it all looks very Russian. They are a a very visible presence here. And and also, they're a very visible presence on the podium. They've been doing extremely well. They've got about 335 athletes in, in Tokyo. They've amassed 15 gold medals, 21 silvers, and 19 bronzes. So 55 medals in total. For a nation that should not be at the olympics it's it's quite galling for for those who who did ask for tougher punishments and who did suffer as a result of russia 's cheating
0: It's not a game though where we've seen a lot of doping cases so far we've just had the the one haven't we
2: yes yeah we, we've had one doping case here, which is actually quite quite an interesting one It's a Nigerian sprinter um, a female sprinter from Nigeria who just a day earlier, had complained about the organisation of the Nigerian um, National Athletics Federation after 10 of her teammates were flown to Tokyo but then deemed ineligible to participate in the Games because they hadn't been put through three out-of-competition tests, which is a stipulation... For a handful of countries at a high risk uh, of doping by the athletics integrity unit nigeria being one of them it, it's quite an amazing situation that you fly 10 athletes to to tokyo having not met the rules
1: yeah so blessing okagbari um who i think was probably one a, a medal hope for nigeria uh it tested positive for um human growth hormone uh which is a, a an alternative to steroids used to um especially helpful for for sprinters um i mean the, the case hasn't come to a conclusion yet but clearly she couldn't uh, participate having tested positive but it's yet yeah, an interesting one by the aiu the athletics integrity unit actually took so long to make this decision. Why did they actually allow these athletes to travel to Tokyo then tell them they couldn't take part? It does seem very strange. Is there any particular reason they couldn't have told them this before the Games?
2: Yes, yes I think they, they actually did tell them in in, in, in um, early July as well. The issue is, one, Nigeria then appealed and had real really no grounds to appeal and then lost that. The other point of this is... Um, Countries sometimes bring athletes into country for, for training ahead of, ahead of the game. So they couldn't move into the village until five days before under these new rules. But they could also be in, in Asia or be in Japan. The interesting thing here is those athletes actually were in the village. They were protests. They were holding banners, um, demanding justice, etc. And here's the thing. No one is saying that the athletes are at fault here. No one's saying the athletes are drug cheats or anything like that. The issue is, that, you know, and it's a simple one. It's Nigeria is, is one of, you know, Africa's most developed wealthier countries It has a well-developed athletics program as well. All they had to do was do three out of competition tests for, uh, athletes. They wanted to send to, to the Olympics over a 10 month period. It shouldn't be that... We're not talking about hundreds of athletes either. We're talking about a handful. The other thing, the most senior, the most elite of the Nigerian athletes uh, would have been tested in the AIU testing pool anyway, which is the, the, the best athletes in the world fall under the AIU's auspices. It's, it's like the second string. But it shouldn't have been this complicated. And Nigeria aren't the only ones to be dinged by this. Belarus, of course... Uh, which we have discussed. The reason, um, the reason the the, the 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 athlete posted on Instagram her complaint about being forced into the four by four hundred was because three of the team were were ruled ineligible again by the AIU. So it's not Nigeria having these problems. It kind of shows mismanagement, perhaps, in, across the board or something worse.
0: And of course, the reason that Blessing actually won a silver medal at the Beijing Olympics was because uh, the Russian competitor was later banned. So she was actually upgraded. Of course, it has been quite an interesting Olympics on the track. The first without Usain Bolt, which meant we have a new 100-meter Olympic champion, Marcel Jacobs. Pretty big surprise in the stadium when I was there on Sunday night to see this uh, Texas-born Italian suddenly upset the odds so unexpectedly to uh, to take the title.
2: This is a, a remarkable story. Jacobs, if the Olympics were held when they should have been last year, Jacobs hadn't cracked 10 seconds. That was only in May for the first time. Yeah, uh, and he would have ran the 37th fastest time at that, at that point when, when the Olympics would have been held whatever he's been up to during the lockdown period has certainly helped him he must have trained um completely differently to how he had done before in order to to, to perform as well as he had done and he credited it, his success to to actually meeting his father for the first time uh, he 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 was he's the son of a an american uh, military man and an italian mum and he had Not really seen his father at all until about a year ago. He says that gave him the wings he needed to to run that nine point eight oh. And you know, who knows that 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 might have been it. Uh, We'd love to whoever his coaches. I'm sure his doors being sort of knocked off its hinges by other athletes looking for such an improvement.
1: Yeah, I mean that's that that was an incredible story. Obviously, I mean, what do you think about the track? Because. It, is, is is it becoming almost farcical that you've got these super shoes for a start and then you've got this track which is apparently like a trampoline it's so bouncy i mean it's it just it, are we just getting to the point now where things are being developed for fast times world records and it's it's all a bit meaningless but if you're if you're comparing it to, to a world record set set 20 years ago if the technology is, is is so much more now developed to help these speeds what do you think
0: As we saw in swimming around a decade or so ago, when the swimsuits led to entire meets with virtually records being broken in every single race. And eventually, FINA, as the governing body, did implement regulations to pull back on some of those swimsuit technologies that were helping these records being broken. Because the danger is, actually, we end up in a situation effectively like Formula One, where it actually is just a sport where... The technical buffins, the scientists, those who can produce the best technology, those best resources actually do take over, which we've seen with some of these running shoes, which yes, there are regulations which are meant to make them available to everyone to be able to have them, but there are questions over that, and of course, with something like a track, you get organizers wanting these world records to get attention onto the event and to actually get that interest. But what is too far, Tarek, you spoke to the brains behind this track, which is very springy and bouncy and uh you know creates a talking point, but there are questions over where does it all stop this technology?
2: Yeah, I spoke to a gentleman who works for Mondo, the company that produces these Olympic tracks, um, on the on the second night of the athletics here in Tokyo. And he yeah, he was the one who described it as, yes, it's like a spring, he said, like a trampoline. He was very proud of that. They'd been working on this track for two or three years, he said. Uh, and I did ask him the question: I said, "Well, you know, is it not a bit too much? Is it not too much assistance to 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 these athletes? Is it not like these springy shoes, etc., that prove so controversial?" And he his view was, "It's like the tyres in Formula One. As long as everybody gets the same tyre, that's fine. But to your point, Martin, it's not fine if you." If you're really proud of that world record you set 15 years ago or 20 years ago and and it's been broken because someone has managed to sort of hop or or, or be pinged off across the track at a speed that you you couldn't have done before uh speaking of uh, this track there's been records galore national records personal bests and and world records we saw um, a remarkable uh time for the men's 400 hurdles carsten volholm the, the the reigning champion world champion he 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 broke his own world record and at a time he he ran so fast he ran quicker than 18 of the people who ran the the qualifiers in the 400 flat so in those heats there were 18 people slower than the than the bloke who's had to hurdle over them and that tells you something about his quality but maybe also about the the track and the
0: shoes etc And he survived being held up getting into the track the other night by me because I realised I was going through the wrong security area when this guy with a number on his back uh, was there. And I checked his accreditation looking down and, uh, yep, there was his name. And, uh, yeah, he had far more pressing priorities. I was merely running probably to try to uh, get a drink in the heat.
2: You might have caught up with him if you were on the track there, Rob. Uh, um, There was another another success as well um, in the 400 hurdles. Sydney McLaughlin, who predicted on Friday that the track she described as bouncy could lead to a world record. And it was her who who broke the world record a couple of days later. So that's another 400 hurdles in the women. We had a a world record in the the triple jump as well. It's just it's just been miraculous, really. And there was um, a, a double winner in the 100 and 200, Rob.
0: Yeah, defending both her titles from the Rio 2016 Games, Elaine Thompson Herrera. And she was so proud of some of her feats this week that she posted some of the video on Instagram. The response from Instagram was to block her for a couple of days. Eventually, they did seem to back down and allowed her to post her footage again. But the striking thing was, it seems that Instagram were far more resolute and determined and quicker in deleting some athletes' footage than they do with uh, the race to abuse others celebrate effectively quicker to remove successes than the uh, harassment and abuse that athletes are facing which does open this whole question about should athletes whether olympians or footballers have a right to post their feats their goals on social media it's the rights holders who ultimately are paying for it but should athletes have the ability to and also should fans or indeed other people like journalists in Stadiums be able to post the footage as well and uh Tarek, something you've encountered.
2: Yeah, it was very strange uh the other day. I, I was at the uh BMX track and um I noticed that the British athlete Kai White, he'd 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 won silver and I Yeah, he was Prince of Peckham and he was over the moon. He was so happy. And he was so shocked, actually, at, at what he'd done. He, he was almost a good study in in what happens to you when you do something as miraculously as as, as, as get an Olympic medal. He got a silver, and he was beside himself with joy. So I just was watching him, and then shortly after that, his teammate Beth Shriver was was in the in the women's final. She'd won surprisingly, to be honest, won the three semi all three of her semifinals she was an outside bet to even reach the final but she 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 did so well and i was watching kai and he he was just just you know buzzing with anticipation jumping up and down on the side you know holding on to the to the fence to cheer her on these are empty stadiums of course and i i just thought oh he'll be he might be interesting to to film it's, he's not someone the broadcasters the rights holders will really care about you know some guy on the side and yeah and he he was cheering her on like you would hope any of your best teammates would he he, he was almost it almost felt better for him that she was doing well than his own success that's how excited he was that's about 45 seconds of of footage in his excitement um posted that on on twitter and got um a message from from them that a complaint had been filed by a company in birmingham probably working on behalf of the ioc saying so my account had been locked and would not be unlocked until I agreed to, to remove this video. And it's fine, but what I would say is that that story or that image of Kai White, etc., that that's now something that is deleted from Olympic history. And I think all the photos and videos that fans would have shot would form a, a tapestry of the games that traditional broadcasters, are, 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 their footage isn't, is separate to that. And, and and now that is lost. And I think that m- m hurts the, 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 the ambitions of the IOC to, to grow its audience, et cetera. The, the broadcasters aren't going to lose billions of viewers or millions of viewers or, or money from advertisers as a result of little clips like that. So I, I think I find the debate quite strange.
1: If you look at um, other major sports events like the World Cup, I, mean, I think you the... FIFA, um, they don't let you show clips of actual action on the pitch, but they're happy for you to show videos of stuff off it, um, you know, fans or things happening, uh, bystanders. I'm sure that would be okay. So it it, it does seem very over-the-top reaction.
0: Yeah, I suppose it is rights holders who have paid a lot of money, billions in the case of NBC to show the US rights. You've got Discovery paying something near a billion in terms of their multi year deal in Europe. And obviously they're protecting their value, but I think it adds a certain authenticity some of this footage from around stadiums where you don't have cameras. I mean, if you think about Euro 2020, some of the footage from where near the England players' families were in the stadium cameras aren't there from the broadcasters and you get a certain sense of realness the fact that you're sensing their full emotions and the way these rights work restricted by territory or region means you can't get one universal clip that is shared legally around the world yet you just had to look what we saw here with the Qatari and italian sharing the high jumping gold a remarkable moment one that the ISC will be dining out on for years in terms of the olympic spirit it encapsulates but of course the only way of That clip being universally shared was people shooting off their television, ripping it off TV feeds and it going around the world rather than any official body being able to actually post that themselves. And some sports do retain their own rights for digital clips, whether it's the FA with the FA Cup, it means they can put it out and they're not geo-blocked. But the way Olympic rights work is uh, they are geo-blocked, even though they're pretty easy to get around with things like a VPN, one touch of a button as well to catch up on social clips from a broadcaster that uh, you might not be in their territory.
2: Yeah. So speaking of um, attention, the weightlifting federation had way more attention than it normally would on, on Monday night. There was press box in the weightlifting arena was oversubscribed by three to one. Ziggs, you might have an idea why. <laughs>
1: Yes, clearly this was Laurel Hubbard, the New Zealand transgender weightlifter. Now, we uh, gave a, a full podcast dealing with this issue a, a few weeks ago. Um had very good guests with um, Ross Tucker, sports scientist, and Christian Worley, herself, a, a transgender athlete. And I think it's, uh, you know, we covered this in detail and there was a lot of focus on what would happen. And um, actually, it it, uh, it all sort of, slightly fizzled out i think fair to say
2: yeah i was i was in the in the arena for for um laurel's effort in the in the um heaviest category in women's weightlifting the top category and she she had failed to register a, a, a single um, successful lift out of the three and bowed out before the second part the clean and jerk part um But the fact is that she did make history, she performed, and the pressure would have been enormous, and the debate doesn't go away. I had a a short sit-down with her as well on the Tuesday morning. And, you know, she's an amazing figure in this sense. Someone who's intensely private, very quiet, does not want to be the centre of attention. This must have been just the biggest ordeal you can imagine. She said... She will be leaving the, the athletic stage, the weightlifting arena, certainly when it comes to competitions like like this age, she said had caught up with her. But she also said that she's really looking forward to returning to anonymity. And I, I don't blame
0: her. And this issue isn't, of course, going away at all. The fact is, Laurel Hubbard, the first openly transgender woman to compete in the Games, there will be others to debate in terms of competitive advantage in terms of the level playing field, will continue. Certainly they wouldn't want to seem to be pushed away from mainstream sport when it's, as they would see it, a biological matter in terms of them identifying a certain way and then wanting to pursue their sporting ambitions too.
2: Yes, the IOC is actually going to publish some new guidelines in the next couple of months, eagerly anticipated by, by um, those campaigners for women's sports and, and all of us who follow sports in general.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think from what I understand, it it's, looks pretty likely they're just going to reduce their, their um, recommended level of testosterone from ten to five um, ngmol, which I think they think will will um, try to they think may satisfy those people who want t- tougher restrictions and still leave the way open for transgender athletes to compete actually i think it will satisfy neither neither party actually so it's uh this is gonna definitely continue to rumble on
2: yeah i think they might even get rid of testosterone limits for some of the sports at all they're saying i think it might be a sport by sport solution again it's like the ioc is going to kick the decision making into the hands of the various federations and again to me it seems maybe a dereliction of their responsibility it's the hottest of hot potatoes why not chuck it into the hands of 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 the federations and and let them decide you know the point has been made that the 10 nanomoles or five nanomoles doesn't really make a difference when it comes to some sports at the olympics you're thinking archery or shooting you know who who cares um what the Testosterone level is so yeah that that's going to be certainly an interesting one to follow and one that's going to provoke fierce debate as usual.
0: The IC would love nothing more than to deflect responsibility away from themselves. Certainly, the IC president Thomas Bach is not someone that necessarily uh, takes a clear stance on anything. We've seen this as we look ahead to the next Olympics, which are of course now only what six months or so away in 2022 in Beijing, and the ongoing issue of the Uyghurs, a term you don't hear ISC figures actually using, despite human rights groups being deeply concerned about the crackdown on the Muslim minorities in China. And it's an issue that is only going to grow, as concerns do mount about whether or not the Olympics should even be in China at all while this is going on. And uh, it's going to be a very challenging period for the ISC, how they respond to it. They can't keep on just ignoring it can they and hope we just get to Beijing and everyone's there and then the sport begins
1: yeah Beijing is going to be incredibly difficult for the IAC um, and actually in the wider sport as well I mean there's this potential Chinese World Cup bid I can't see that taking place now because it's so toxic the, the issue around the, the Uyghurs and human rights in Hong Kong and stuff so I think it's um, be very interesting to see how the IOC handle the next six months.
0: Because one of the big issues the IOC thought they're going to have to deal with here in Japan was significant numbers of coronavirus cases. We have seen Tokyo reaching record levels of around four thousand a day in, in in this final week of the games, so and it's caused a lot of concern in Tokyo, where it is a state of emergency. By British standards, they're still pretty low. And actually, there haven't been that many cases directly linked to the Games, and maybe the government are right here in the fact that actually the Games isn't to, to blame for the spike in cases, even though particularly critics of the Olympics would like to um, portray it as so.
2: Yeah, it's funny, this, like I said earlier, there seems to be two planets that we're living on, one planet IOC and this Olympic bubble we're in, and then one general Japanese society when we go out, and we use the term, there is a state of emergency here, but I think when you're here that conveys something a little bit different to what we had anticipated at home shops are open restaurants are open up until eight o'clock um even sports arenas that aren't related to the olympics are are, are open so the, the the country isn't closed down in a in a in that kind of hard lockdown sense as you would think you can you can go and get a meal and you can walk around you can be on the subway system it's still Fairly busy. I assume those cases are being spread, possibly outside of the games, where the, the testing reg- regimen here is quite tight. And once you are close contact with someone, or if you have quarantine, you get you get pretty much locked into your room until uh, for a number of days until you're cleared.
0: And while pandemic restrictions are being lifted in a country like Britain, obviously they do continue in other countries. In Australia, they've got new lockdowns being imposed, and that's impacting sport, isn't it? Still through the rest of the year with the Rugby League World Cup in particular?
1: Yes, uh, as expected, the Rugby League World Cup, due to be held in England this autumn, has been postponed. It was always looking doomed from the moment that Australia and New Zealand uh, announced that they weren't going to take part. Um, It's now going to take place in 2022. They say it won't clash with the uh, Football World Cup in Qatar. It's a, it's a serious blow really for the sport and um, they had such high hopes of being the first major sports event to take place without with full crowds, um, that's not going to happen. Um, and yeah, we'll, you know, we will see what brings the next 12 months and what the state of the pandemic is, um, but uh, yeah, for Rugby League, big disappointment.
0: And the fallout continues as well from the European Championship, particularly in terms of the racist abuse that England players faced. We've had a series of arrests now, 11 arrests as the police do clamp down. And new details from the Professional Footballers Association of just the scale of abuse that players continue to face and the inaction of social media companies.
1: Yeah, the uh, PFA um, commissioned a a really sort of in-depth study by a company called Signify, uh, I think came up with absolutely <laughs> astonishing results. Um, so three out of four of the Twitter accounts that sent explicit racial abuse to footballers last season are still active. They've not been shut down by Twitter. It's just remarkable.
0: And we were on a uh, media call this week introducing the new PFA Chief Executive, Maheta Malango. And on it, he was actually asked about vaccines for players. And he certainly not advocating any mandatory policy in terms of players being vaccinated. He said it's their personal choice. It reflects something similar, actually, we've heard in baseball as well, that um, there's no union position telling players to get vaccinated. He was saying, effectively, it's the way out of the pandemic, but reflecting that players might have uh, some concerns. And it's also something that's going to be facing fans, potentially, going into stadiums in the Premier League that there might be required vaccinations, not as it has been, say, at the European Championship, which is proof of being double-jabbed or indeed a negative test, but isn't it mandatory vaccines or you're not getting in?
1: Well, that's what Boris Johnson uh, and the message coming from his government were saying a couple of weeks ago. For sports events, over 20,000 people in England, that you would have to have mandatory double-jabs with exemptions for children. Um the response, I think, is is putting that in doubt now. I spoke to a couple of Premier League club chairmen and chief executives in the last few days who have said that it's unworkable. The ethical issues around forcing people to have double jabs, uh, they they believe, is impossible, both for players and for fans alike. Um they are pushing very strongly for the government to change tack and accept the sort of the euro 2020 wimbledon system which was as you say either proof of a double jab or a negative test Um, and i think they're happy to go along with that but the mandatory vaccination i think is going to prove too controversial i wouldn't be surprised to see that role um, taken back by the government in the next few weeks
0: It's also beyond the UK as well, because just this week, FIFA and Qatar announced that the FIFA Arab Cup that's taking place in Qatar in December, there will be a mandatory vaccination policy for fans. Effectively, that's serving as the test event for the World Cup in November 2022, testing all the venues for that, where we've already heard from the Qatari government that for the World Cup in 2022, fans will have to be fully vaccinated to get into the venues. One of the ongoing issues that's going to come up, though, is If you've been vaccinated now, how recent do your vaccines need to be, say, by November 2022? We're just talking about autumn booster shots in England and other countries might be contemplating it too. Then we've got a World Cup a year or so down the line that bodies are not only going to have to decide if, say, fans or players have been vaccinated, but how recently and how often too.
2: Yeah, this is going to be a very complex calculus, isn't it? Qatar, no surprise, you know, absolute monarchy. The king says do this. You're going to do it and in terms of human rights and personal liberties. You're talking about a country that perhaps a little bit more different to, to those like Britain and the US, much of Europe, where, where personal freedoms are, are extremely important. To your point, Ziggs, yeah, what do I think? I think human rights and people's right to choose whatever we may think. Personally, I would recommend to anyone who could to get double vaccination, but then to create... Haves and have-nots. As a result of that, I don't know. I think I think we're going to. There's a degree of pushback, and perhaps it's 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 extremely unfair to force people to do something like that if 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 they don't feel comfortable doing it. Speaking of effects of the pandemic, we had a major piece of news this week from from Spain, uh, where the football league there has been buffeted like everywhere else by, by pandemic era losses, they have agreed, um, a $3 billion asset sale of their media rights, media company to CVC capital partners who will get 10%. And this is CVC who can't stop bidding for anything. Every single sporting competition league on, on the planet, so they, they've been they've been in for CBC, this company that can't stop bidding for things, has finally got a football deal over the line. Rob, they've, they're they're doing all sorts of other things too.
0: Yeah, they've got a stake in the Six Nations. They're trying to get one in Serie A, and of course, they used to own Formula One too. Obviously, the clubs have still got to agree to this in Spain, and clubs have not exactly seen eye to eye with La Liga president Javier Tebas over his opposition to the Super League. What they're getting is effectively a 10% stake in the commercial company that's been created by La Liga to sell its rights. The ambition is to overtake the Premier League. Is this going to be enough? And actually, can they maximise value? And what are CVC going to want out of it? La Liga saying they won't have any say in the competition, but they're going to want to generate a profit, aren't they?
2: I can't see them not making a profit. This is probably a really good deal for CVC where where it's a good deal for spanish football time will tell also what i'll be wondering is football clubs have been pandemic or not have been atrocious at managing their finances if this new money comes in three billion which is apparently going to be shared across two seasons how are they going to stop these clubs from pouring it into the transfer market and into the pockets of, of players, which has got them into this mess in the first place? That would be quite interesting to see. Martin, do you think do you think they'll be able to spend this money wisely?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, that's a that that is the three billion dollar question, and the answer is probably for some of them definitely not. I mean, on a much smaller scale, the, uh, they 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 did a similar thing with the the rugby premiership in in England um the club's all got a, a big chunk of cash um there was sort of high hopes of a new tv deal which would sort of bring in even more and uh reward cvc for their investment but actually they had to get they had to settle for a, a smaller tv deal in the end um partly due to the, the the effects of the pandemic so is the is the arrangement that cvc would get 10 percent of the tv deals paid to them uh, as a return for their investment.
2: Yep. Yep. That's right. There's a, as, as Rob alluded to, there's a separate company being set up, a vehicle that all the commercial assets of La Liga, not the teams. So the the, the, the major thing is the broadcast income and also the, the the sort of global sponsorship element of of the league will be poured into this company, and and ten um, percent of that, for uh, I hear maybe up to fifty years will go to CVC and, you know, private equity firms, they tend to do well out of their investments. Those that they invest in sometimes don't do that well. So, you know, they would have done their calculus and good for them. The other the other question is, surely they, they would have had to have some clause in this contract to say Real Madrid and Barcelona are fully committed to playing in La Liga for as long as this contract lasts. That's going to be an interesting question.
0: Assuming they're not relegated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're talking more, of course, if they were chucked out of the league for trying to join a Super League or, or, or something. But as we approach the new season, as these Olympics come to an end, Martin, anything big coming up, you think, over the next week or so?
1: Uh, we've had the, uh, I mean, obviously the big transfer stuff. Um, and the Super League is refusing to go away. Um, there's been a, a another judgment from the Madrid court um, in the sort of Super League's favour for the time being. Um, UEFA appear to be uh, refusing to accept the findings of this court, and it's all heading to the European Court of Justice. October the 18th, I think, is the first date, but I think it's going to go on. I don't know, it could last for two years, couldn't it?
0: Yeah, it could indeed drag on, but certainly things here in Tokyo are now drawing to a close as we approach the closing ceremony as we wrap up the final thoughts Tarek, do you think the isc have managed to pull this off and the local organizers it seems it's as best as it could be these olympics
2: yeah we've had we've had olympics medals have been handed out performances have been performed there hasn't been this major spike um, certainly within the uh, olympic bubble hard to say if any any of the arrivals here have caused um any issues with J- japan's own handling of the, the coronavirus crisis and yes we are ready to return
0: mind your first one for some time watching from home is it seemed quite normal as the viewer on the sofa
1: yeah i mean from there's, there's been obviously issues around the bbc's coverage um which most people have been watching it in the UK, just because they've had far less than, um, than they've had in, in the last couple of games. So Discoveries through Eurosport have been uh, had, had the bulk of the rights. That's caused a few issues here, and it, I, I definitely think it's affected my viewing experience and probably not me alone.
0: Probably brand awareness for Discovery growing, and of course something for the whole of Europe too as well, because they've got so many rights of course, you can find us, though, on any podcast platform. If you can rate, review, and subscribe to us, that would absolutely be great, and we'll drop into your feed whenever we land a new episode. Tarek, great to be with you out here in Tokyo. Martin, hope to see you soon back in the UK. Safe travels, guys, safe travels. Thanks a lot, and thank you, everyone, for listening. That's all for now. Have a great time enjoying the sports viewing in the days ahead, and speak to you soon.